A breeze ruffled the neat hedges of Privet Drive, which lay silent and tidy under the inky sky, the very last place you would expect astonishing things to happen. Harry Potter rolled over inside his blankets without waking up. Welcome to episode 61 of the America the Bilingual podcast. I'm Steve Levine. That passage I just read to you is from the very first Harry Potter book, The Sorcerer's Stone. But you may be wondering, what's that got to do with bilingualism in America? Settle back for the next few minutes and we'll tell you a story. In this episode, you're going to meet two of the principals from a U.S. publishing house by the name of Levine Querido, no relation, by the way. They publish children's books, which is a bit like saying that Lionel Messi plays football. And they publish authors from many different countries and languages. Those two principals were at the 2022 Guadalajara Book Fair, the largest in the Spanish-speaking world, and just a short drive from the recording studio of our producer, Fernando Hernandez, where the three of them sat down to talk. I'm Arthur Levine. I'm the founder, um, president, and editor-in-chief of Levine Querido. And my name is Antonio Gonzalez Serna. I am the marketing director for Levine Querido, and I've known Arthur for over 10 years. We've worked together for a long time. Thanks for being here and for coming to Guadalajara, my hometown. Mucho gusto. Is it fair to say that as far as children's books, millions of fans and not all of them children have you to thank for Harry Potter? <laughs> I, it's, it's just fair from a numerical perspective. <laughs> so when I went to Bologna, the Bologna Book Fair, that first spring. The spring of 1997, Bologna, Italy is where the publishing world holds its trade fair for children's books. Publishers from one country buy the rights to publish a book from another country. You know, people were asking me, well, what do you want? And I would try to explain, well, you know, if I'm meeting with a publisher from from Colombia, I want something really Colombian, which is not generally the way American publishers work. Usually people are are trying to say, oh, here's this novel. This could be anywhere. This could be New York. Um, And I'm like, no. Well, we have lots of authors from New York who can write books set in New York. Um, And so when I got to um, the Bloomsbury stand, you know, I said, "I, I want something that's very British, super British, you know, that you can really feel like it could only have been written by somebody from the UK. Bloomsbury, as you might have guessed, is a British-based publisher. And it was at the very end of the meeting that that the rights person said, well, I think we have something. You know, it's not published yet, but we're very excited. It's by a new author. Why don't you take it home? And I read it and and fell in love with it. Can you believe it? He went home with the first Harry Potter manuscript. But Steve, Arthur said he never imagined that millions and millions of American readers would turn Harry Potter into this phenomenon. Even though they did. I thought, this is a really charming, funny, very, very British 
book. If you limit yourself to writers from your own country, you're missing out on the whole rest of the world. There's got to be an uncountable amount of great storytelling and art out there. Why would you like not want to consider that? And that's why Levine Carrido Publishing has made such a name for itself in the world of translated children's books. So most, if not all, all of your publishing career has focused on children's books. What is it about them that you find so appealing? I think it's pretty common if you ask people to name a book that really changed their life. It would be a book that they read in their childhood um, and probably not a book they read last week. So that's certainly how I felt. And that's why I went into it. They translate books to and from lots of different languages. And they have a really strong program of Spanish to English and English to Spanish. When you dial right down to the baseline, the emotions, the sadness, the joy, each of those things is universal to humankind. But how it's colored and how it's flavored and the surroundings, those are all particular to a specific culture and a specific language. And of course, with Spanish, you have many specific cultures. So in a way, you have lots of specific Spanish languages. Exactly. This is a consideration for all of their Spanish books. Oh, they're very different because the communities are different. We, th we jokingly call Miami the capital of Latin America because all of the major media companies are there. Right. And it's expanded. And it's expanded. The different and kinds of uh, Spanish that is spoken. Yeah. So Miami. the Caribe will affect that community right. a lot more. And if you're in Texas, it's so close to Mexico, you're, it's going to have an impact, a major, bigger impact there. And obviously, California, like Texas... It brings in a lot of different people too, but you know, California used to be Mexico. Like, you know, right. like, like Los Angeles has a very strong Guatemalan community. DC has a very, very strong um, Salvadorian community. New York has a, a very strong traditional Puerto Rican community mm -hmm. and now uh, Dominican. We had a, one of our books by Camille Gomez Tavares, um, Buenos Espíritus, or uh, High Spirits. Um, that's by a Dominicana-Americana author. And we had it translated into Spanish by a Dominican translator. Yes. Be because you, you said this so well, Antonio, I'm just echoing you, but you read it, it has the cadence of uh, the Dominican Republic. It has um, the, the, the sound, sabor. the yeah. sabor. <laughs> si. You want to maintain that flavor, the essence of the culture and the way that people say different turns of phrases, you want to capture that in a translation. Our approach to translating into Spanish, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Different languages are, oops, different languages. You want to be faithful to what the original author was trying to give the reader. And in order to do that, you have to bring in your knowledge uh, of the subtleties of the new language. Would you ever use machine translation? No. A machine doesn't recognize the difference 
subtle differences of emotion implied by words, like the connotation of words, um, not just the denotation of words. Arthur had a really cool way of explaining this. Sometimes I resort to tennis metaphors, um, like, and I say that translation is like doubles. The extent to which those two people are successful is not by being exactly the same, but it's by moving in concert with each other and sometimes in counterpoint. Fernando, it sounds like both of them know their way around bilingualism. Did you ask them about their language biographies? Yes, and they both have interesting stories. I'll start with Arthur's. My grandfather was polyglot. He spoke Russian and Yiddish and Hebrew and Italian and English. English was like his fifth language. You know, he spoke it fluently. Out of need or out of true interest? Um, I, I think necessity combined with talent. He was living in a shtetl in Belarus. And everyone in the shtetl spoke Yiddish and they prayed in Hebrew. You know, everyone around them spoke Russian. And then he moved, you know, then he emigrated to America. Arthur considers himself primarily an English speaker, but... But from an early age, I also learned Hebrew and Yiddish, which helps me with the sounds of Espanol, because I can say sounds and, you know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> he told me he fell in love with Spanish in seventh grade. And... You know, studied and studied and studied all through college and had many friends who spoke only in Spanish to me. That's why I speak some Italian as well. Um, and I know a lot of Hebrew because I pray in Hebrew. And if I want to understand what I'm saying when I'm praying, I have to understand Hebrew. Steve, Arthur also mentioned something that you talked about in your book. What was that? How he didn't like just speaking English when he was on business in other countries. I just was increasingly self-conscious and unhappy that um, I was speaking English the entire time and everyone else was speaking English to me. And I just felt that that was wrong. What was wrong about that? It's just a matter of manners. Like, why make people always do things to make you comfortable? You should be also trying to make other people comfortable. And that's actually why I tried even harder to be able to speak Spanish and listen, understand in Spanish, um, because then at least there would be one language at international book fairs that I could have appointments in their language. Yeah, I see. Antonio, so did you grow, grow up as a Spanish-English bilingual? I absolutely grew up like a bilingual kid. You know, my first language was Spanish. My parents only speak Spanish. My dad's Guatemalan. My mom is from Monterrey. Antonio was born in Texas, so he learned English when he started school. There's a kind of kid in the U.S. It's, it's, a, it's an official word. It's called the truth, the truth tellers. The truth tellers. And it's kids who grew up speaking English and their parents didn't speak English. And they would have to go to the bank and translate or go to the doctor and translate and tell the truth. Because if they didn't tell the truth, they would, it would mess up, it would mess up everything. You know, we should do a book on this. Yeah. The truth tellers. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I was, would, I, I would was, buy it right away. <laughs> I was that kid. I was a truth teller kid. It's a lot of pressure. Yes. You're, I was like eight years old and I would go to the bank with my parents and 
they would try to get like a uh, they were trying to get a mortgage for our house or a second mortgage or something like that. I would try so hard to translate, you know, try as hard as I could with my eight year old vocabulary to communicate what is it that I'm hearing and what what their my parents are saying. Yeah, like like you you try to explain as an eight year old kid what a subprime mortgage is. Right. But there was no other choice. And so when I'm with Arthur, you know, I, I sometimes automatically will just the Translate. words will come out, you know, like Oh, they said this, you know. Oh, they mean this, you know. <laughs> so, so you, in a way, you're kind of still a, a truth teller. Antonio has been very uh, gracious about translating things that, and you know, sometimes he he's like comes to my rescue and just translates the one thing I missed, and sometimes I'm saying no, entiendo, entiendo. That's great. This is audio. I can. Well, you're bilingual and you can do it in English and Spanish. I can do it in English and Spanish. Well, thank you. That's a, a very nice compliment and very uh, generous. This is, this is for both of you. What's the biggest dream you have for this new Spanish language publishing imprint? We are really interested in embracing and introducing the wealth of talent in Spanish-speaking countries to the United States. We then also don't want to limit that to English speakers. So we want Spanish speakers to have access to this same wealth of talent. There are, are a ton of Spanish speakers in the United States. We want those readers to be able to read the same cuentos that are in English or translated from the Dutch or Chinese. Everyone deserves to have this wealth of literature. We have a book from um, a Korean-born writer. It's now in Spanish. We have a, a book by an Iranian illustrator who is now in Spanish in the U.S. market. Another one of those books is called Gibberish by a Vietnamese-American author. It's about a young boy who's just moved to a new country, and he doesn't know the language. All he hears is gibberish. I love that idea that it's that we're creating the the, the books from other immigrants, you know, mm -hmm. are being shared in Spanish in a way. I think it's it's a kind of a fascinating gibberish will be coming out right in Spanish by Yang Vo, who is um, from he's Vietnamese American. He's yeah. a Vietnamese immigrant. Refugee, yeah. In another Harry Potter passage, Dumbledore says to Harry, It does not do to dwell on dreams, Harry, and forget to live. And yet, it is possible to live our dream. I think that's exactly what both Arthur and Antonio are able to do. And what did they tell you about their dreams as bilingual publishers? Arthur said that for him, it's what he's always done as a publisher. My whole career has been about making visible people uh, who have not been visible. And how about Antonio? He has a very personal reason for what it means to him. A big part of, for me and uh, some of the team members, it's about like having something that we can give to our parents. And it's like, look, you can read this. And this is what I do for a living. My mother is still alive and she reads Spanish. And I can give her one of our books. But it was when Fernando asked them both this next question that we can see how seriously and with what urgency they take their role as bilingual publishers. This is for both of you. Why do you do what you do? 
we are living in a time right now, Arthur and I, and in the United States, where um, books are being banned, Ugh. they're being censored, ideas are being uh, shut down, libraries are are having to like remove books from shelves. A lot of those books that are getting removed are books that we are championing because they're from LGBTQ people, they're from um, Black, Indigenous, um, people of color, um, Asian Americans, Latine people. And for us, I think, for me especially, knowing that reading is going to build empathy. You know, having books around means that you're going to see the world and experience it more. I think it just keeps me going, knowing that we're still in a very real fight. These the the very vulnerable communities that we uh, are trying to give voice to. It's very easy to feel helpless in this broken world, um, but we have something that our passion can can do. Arthur has talked about. Um, there's a phrase, a, a phrase, a Hebrew phrase of words. A tikkun olam. Yes. Uh, which means to heal the world. It's a sacred obligation uh, for Jews, um, but also a, a beautiful, joyous one. You know, if we can direct our passion for literature and art I- into a means of healing some small part of the world, then, you know, what higher calling could you have? We hope you've enjoyed this conversation with our friends from Levine Carrido Publishing. Be sure to check out our episode notes on the America the Bilingual website to see some of their children's books. They are quite irresistible or irresistible. Irresistible. Whichever way you prefer to say it. There are more conversations with fascinating American bilinguals that you can read about in my book, America's Bilingual Century. Details are on the book page of americathebilingual.com. My thanks to members of the America the Bilingual team who worked on this episode, Fernando Hernandez and his production house in Guadalajara, Mexico, Esto No Es Radio, which also provides sound design and mixing, and where Fernando interviewed our guests and where I am now speaking from. Thanks also to Mim Harrison, our editorial and brand director who wrote and directed this episode, and Carla Hernandez at Daruma Tech, who manages our website. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine. Recording from Guadalajara. Hecho en Mexico. <laughs> <laughs>